We are so excited today because we have renowned author Laura Pritchett who is joining us. She will be the first of many, we hope, guests that are talking not necessarily from the clinician's perspective, but from actual people, you know, that are experienced or have experienced very serious pain conditions. This is Pain Reframed. Well, welcome to Pain Reframed. Again, we are just so excited to have Laura joining us. Laura's a author known for such books as Stargo Blue, Red Lightning, Hell's Bottom, Colorado, and Sky Bridge. And she recently published The Blue Hour, which is a fascinating book on just excellent characters, many who have suffered a number of both uh, physical and emotional uh, pain problems. Laura, I must say that I just loved your recent book. But before we go there, can you just tell the, the audience a little bit about yourself? Well, first of all, let me say I'm so excited to be on this show to talk about pain because there just aren't enough words given to it. And that sounds funny, but here I am and I'm delighted. I'm a writer, mostly literary fiction, but I do a lot of nonfiction as well for magazines. And I have a new book coming out in September called Making Friends with Death, A Field Guide for Your Impending Last Breath which is a lighthearted, funny look at getting your stuff together really before you die. But in in certain ways, for me, it's related to pain and my journey with that. Well, awesome. Well, we're definitely going to speak a bit about that book uh, later on in the episode. But again, I think I got to really say your recent book, The Blue Hour, was phenomenal. And and I don't know if you happen to have it with you, but I, I was just reading it again, and we'll have it on our show notes for all the listeners. But I mean... Your description of pain, and especially Sai, uh, one of the main characters there, was phenomenal. And uh, I don't know if you happen to have it there, but would you read like maybe a little bit from page 147 if you happen to have it nearby? Sure, I will. I really, I mean, you can give a little background, but I mean, that paragraph towards the end, uh, you know, when he drops his knees, I was like, oof. Yeah, that kind of frames what we're talking about when it comes to pain. Well, thanks for noticing that. Yeah, just to give a little bit of background, I want to mention another writer, Virginia Woolf, um, because she had written a beautiful book called The Waves about physical pain and the pain she was in, both both emotional and physical. I just want to read one sentence of hers. She was complaining that more writers don't write about physical pain. They just seem to stay away from it. And we notice this as well, you know, in our Hollywood TV shows and that sort of thing. No one's ever working or has bills to pay or is in really serious physical pain and dealing with that. And I, I wish there was more coverage given to these. But um, Virginia Woolf said, but for pain, words are lacking. There should be cries, cracks, fissures, whiteness passing over chintz covers, interference with the sense of time space, beneath all of which appears something very important, yet remote, to be just held in solitude. And I just think that's a beautiful poetic way of saying she wishes there were more words about the isolating, horrible characteristics of pain, and that she felt so alone in that, that there weren't more writers giving word to it. And so I decided after writing that, and after being in pain myself, that I was going to try to write more honestly about pain, and include it in my works. And yes, I the veterinarian of a small mountain town, he suffers quite a bit, um, in part from trigeminal neuralgia. But there are other characters who suffer too. Um, one has just broken a bone and another one's back and spine hurts a lot. And I really tried to give voice to people who are going about their daily lives but um, are in pain. So 
He rarely spoke of his pain, but that day he said it was worse than usual. Mostly, he said it was a low-grade ache behind his left eyeball and above his teeth. Trigeminal neuralgia of the second branch left side. Sometimes it would flare up enormously, like a fire. That's what it felt like, a fire eating his brain, he said. Sometimes it happened when the wind touched his face. Sometimes it was the way the light glared. It was a cruel universe. Anything might set it off. But that same thing wouldn't set it off the next day. It was unpredictable, and there was nothing he could do to avoid it or prepare for it. And perhaps that was worst of all. Then suddenly, as if talking about it made it manifest, he dropped his gun and fell to his knees and then fell to his side and moaned. Just like that, dropped straight down. There was nothing for me to do except say, what the hell? And kneel down and hold his hand, bring some water to his lips. It only lasted a bit, maybe two minutes, but it was a long two minutes. And in those two minutes, I understood from the way his eyes flashed with fight and then went dull, what kind of pain this man was dealing with. He lay there breathing for some time, long after it had passed. Then he got to his knees, vomited, got back up and sat on a rock. But we were both shaken. Wow. Yeah, that's powerful. And it's funny, you, you read that and then when you hear you speak it, it just uh, it, it amplifies that. So, hey, thanks for, for sharing that. And I think it, that's probably a great transition because of some of the things you were saying really about pain. I, I'd like to read back to you what the international definition of pain is. And I think just kind of get your perspective. Pain is an unpleasant sensory and emotional experience associated with actual or potential tissue damage or described in terms of such damage. Personally, and how you talked about writing and trying to give voice to pain, what are your thoughts on, on, on that definition? Well, it feels correct to me. Um, it's very unpoetic. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <It's science>. very, <laughs> it is indeed an unpleasant sensory and emotional experience. You know, I think it's accurate in that way. I guess what I'm trying to do is describe how that manifests in a body and how people put words to it in, you know, non-dictionary terminology. But it, it feels right to me. Laura, that, that was gorgeous writing, first of all. Second of all, I think you make such an awesome point that it is tough to write about pain. And I think Tim and I as clinicians and everybody listening can agree it's it's hard to talk about pain. And I think a big part of that reason is because it's not talked about enough. You know, I think part of the reason we have a hard time, it's not unlike uh, depression. Um, it's not unlike end of life care. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned at the beginning there that one of your next pieces coming up is about sort of um, getting your act together at the end. What has drawn you to write about some of these topics that that haven't gotten enough light? I, I think it's wonderful you're doing it because what doesn't get discussed doesn't get fixed. And if we don't bring these conversations into the light and make an effort to talk about them, um, I can assure you no forward progress is going to be made. So what has sort of been your impetus to engage in some of these some of these conversations? Well, you just said it and you said it so well. What doesn't get talked about doesn't get fixed. And in fact, it often becomes like a weird neuroses in a culture where you can't uh, talk about it. And so it goes underground and then it just burbles and boils under the surface in unhealthy ways. And I decided really early on in my writing career that what I wanted to be known for or what I thought I might be good at was just trying to be very honest about very tough subjects, um, suicide, death, 
sex, pain, and things that people won't really admit to. So that's what I hope for in my writing above all else is that it really digs deep into uncomfortable issues, which, you know, and pain is certainly one of them. That's wonderful, Laura. You know, Tim and I talk a lot about in the clinical world, sort of part of what dictates your ability to to really create quality therapeutic relationships. And this isn't about physical therapy. This is about any friends or any family members or any clinicians trying to have conversations to, to help each other move through challenging stuff that a huge variable is how comfortable you are with these topics. And like you said, your willingness to to be in these spaces that have maybe some taboo associated and and start discussing it in a natural, comfortable, open way is just a, a absolutely gigantic service. Do you have any ability? So obviously you have tons of readers who are engaging in your content and are being exposed to some of these topics and conversations. Do you have any forum where they can reach out to you or do, do your readers have anywhere they can connect with each other to kind of continue this conversation? Um, I don't know if that would be a Facebook page or, or, or um, I, I guess I have absolutely no clue how you might organize your readership, but does that, I guess I'm so excited about the idea that you're starting this conversation and I'm wondering, is there anywhere that it's sort of continuing? Well, thanks for asking. And I hope it is. Um, my Facebook page is pretty active and my Twitter account, which is at author. Laura. Um, my webpage is laurapritchett.com and my Facebook is just my name. I try to keep it going also through articles I publish in various places. You know, recently I've been in the New York Times and High Country News and Salon and people are able to, you know, enter comments in the comment section. And that's a really lovely way to stay up with readers too. And you're right, that communication, being open to communication, I think is really important in terms of finding your own path through pain. I just want to give a shout out to Tim because he was my, I always joke, he was like my physical therapist, but he's also my therapist (laughs) for a while there because he really taught me how to think about pain and, you know, look at it honestly without flinching away and to accept that I was in pain and then more or less to change the way I thought about it, you know. I have to say, it just changed my life. So I'd like to do that for other people as well. Well, that's powerful, Laura. And I think that you you look as a, you know, I I guess I'll put my clinician hat on and say how, you know, you look back and say how many people fundamentally changed the way you practice. And hats off to you in that you actually began to give me a voice of what I was not speaking about and just really not understanding, you know, thought really our role perhaps as clinicians was, I was still, when I would argue when I first met you in more of a fix-it mentality that somehow we have some service that we give and it, it fixes folks versus that servant mentality and the walk with mentality that, you know, really we're stumbling along together, but let's do this together in a way that hopefully we both can emerge on the other side a lot better at what we do. Laura, from a patient perspective, do you mind expanding on that a little bit? Like, how did you how did you come into therapy thinking about pain, and what were some of the really key changes in the way that that you and Tim together kind of changed your perception? If you can verbalize that at all. But when I first saw Tim, I was you know definitely catastrophizing everything. I had lived my whole life not in pain. Suddenly, I was in chronic pain, and I just wanted my old self back. And there was a lot of grief there and a lot of just stubbornness. I just I just wanted the pain to go away and I wanted my old life back and I wasn't accepting, you know, what's called the new normal. Tim really helped me understand that 
cortisol levels or that your pain, you know, pain is in the brain in the sense that pain is what's making the, you know, sending the signals that something is amiss. And um, he also taught me basically to not let that pain change my life so much. I mean, one thing I really had to do was remember that like my brain might've been overestimating the danger, my shoulder and neck and face were no, you know, they were not in current danger, but they felt like they were. And so he really taught me like, you know, could I say to myself, yeah, my eye and face really hurt, but could you go on a walk? Yeah, I could go on a walk. Could I go out with friends? Yeah, I can go out with friends. Should I sit around moaning and cursing my fate? No, because that wasn't going to help my face feel any better. And, you know, just a a way of saying, all right, here's the pain. And and I he even taught me how to start giving it different names. And now instead of thinking like, man, my head hurts or my eye hurts, I think there's that buzzy feeling again. Or, boy, it's scratchy today. That's just been my own kind of interpretation of what Tim taught me, which is I just try to rename it. And to me, it's kind of like when you have a song stuck in your head and you want to get it out of your head, <laughs> then you replace it. You, you know, one thing you could do is try to replace it with another song, like start singing some song that you actually wouldn't mind having in your head. And so every time I feel the pain, I try to think of it as a song that I'm not enjoying and I would like to replace it with another song. And I so I just give it different words like, you know, like buzzy or fuzzy or, you know, I still want to recognize that that I'm feeling something, but I don't call it pain. Listening to you, I've always learned something, but one of the things I'd like to ask is, you're clearly a writer of the West, and I believe, and it's just my little mind, that if we look at what's happened in the last 20 years with all this online technology and all these screens in our faces, the the yelling of sides across things that, you know, when we talk about pain, it really we see it as it, it, it's much bigger and that our society has been so disconnected to who we are, um, where we came from as primarily rural agricultural and areas to this hyperactive, responsive society where we need to act immediately. I guess I'm trying to form the question is, you know, really, how do you see the West and the rivers and landscape that we're fortunate enough to live in. How do you see this in your, both your personally and really as our society and perhaps moving forward uh, and hopefully conquering some of this, the, the ills that we have surrounding pain? I tend to think of myself as having three major resources when it comes to my life in general and my pain specifically. One is physical therapy and massage type therapies, you know, that help a lot. One is a mindfulness-based stress reduction program, the MSBR program created by John Kabat-Zinn, you know, where I'm more mindful about where I'm at. And the third thing is the natural world. And I really see the natural world as basically a doctor of sorts. It, it is my doctor. It's my spirituality. It's my love affair. I'm so glad I left other areas and, and chose to come back to the Colorado, which is where I'm from. There is nothing like having a bad day or being in pain or, or trying to get through some big idea you're trying to write about and going on a walk and noticing the mountain mahogany or the deer or the, the way ice cracks on a ditch. You know, truly, it's the little details in life that make us happy. And for me, they're found in the natural world, like all over the place. They're just, you just have to open your eyes and there they are. I find the natural world and our environment 
you know, simply one of my major tools, I guess, if you want to call it that, for for getting through life and loving life and embracing and being joyful about life. That's an awesome answer. I think as we try to sort of help folks come to grips with with pain, which is a, a deeply emotional, like Tim read the definition, and I, I do like that definition. It is a significantly unpleasant emotional experience. And when you're trying to find balance in your life and you have an unpleasant emotional experience working against you, if you will, what you need is very positive emotional experiences that help to balance that out. And I think we all have different things that we turn to, and I don't think any of those are wrong, but I do think that people need to figure out in their own world, you know, what are their resources they can tap of pleasantness, of satisfaction, of enjoyment that can help to balance out, you know, what aren't always optimal experiences like pain. So I think you and I and Tim very much so share a feeling of what this environment out here in Colorado and in the West gives us. And I think that there's a lot of folks out there that, that can draw from, from things like the peace of nature and, in, in walks and runs and hikes and camps in that environment. And so I think that one's shared by many people. What, what I want you to expand on, if you don't mind, part of this is really trying to give people resources. What was that? I heard you mention, was it John Zen, MSBR? What, what was that, that resource that you found some value in that, that you've been able to use? to kind of help keep some balance in your life? I think it's a pretty well-known program called Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, MBSR for short. But I'm always joking that's a horrible name for it. I I just call it Nervous System Quest (laughs) or uh, getting a handle on your life when the crap has hit the fan kind of title, you know, like, because it's not really about stress so much as it is about mindfulness and The major thing I learned from that, I actually attended a program up at the Shambhala Center, but they're offered all across the country, I know. And then I read his book and listened to his tapes. But the major takeaway for me was really live moment by moment. So like one problem with pain, as you know, is like you think I'm going to feel this way in 12 hours and in 12 days and in 12 weeks and in 12 months and possibly in 12 years. And that's overwhelming. And what the mindfulness taught me was like, well, am I getting through this moment? Yes. Am I getting through this moment? Yes. Am I getting through this moment? Yes. And and by participating in just each moment in a mindful way, the future doesn't seem so scary. And also my confidence builds because I'm, I actually am getting through it. I'm mindful of what my emotions are doing and what my nervous system is doing and and I'm breathing and the breathing, of course, part of the mindfulness is, is that deep breathing that really can change your cortisol levels and all of that. So it's like the awareness mixed with the breathing is effective, I think, and really helped me through some tough times. Wow, indeed. Yeah, thanks for that. And we'll have that information on the show notes uh, as well. You know, I'd like to transition more. It, I know you're, uh, you mentioned you're writing your new book, uh, the, the Death Book or How to Die Well. First of all, I'm excited. I, I, I believe it comes out later in the year, but if you wouldn't mind get, talking us a little bit about your journey to that, because it really goes around this greater concept of, of, of what we're reframing. We're reframing pain, but we see it as a much broader experience. My physical pain actually led directly to this book. They're so related, but, um, you know, mostly I consider myself a literary fiction writer, but at one point in time, I was in so much pain and I was going to doctor after doctor and neurologist and everybody, you know, and that scans are being done, MRIs and so on. And I was in so much pain. I thought, 
Well, I don't know what's a matter yet. They haven't given me a diagnosis, but it kind of doesn't matter. Like at this point, it feels like there's something very wrong with me. It could kill me and I'm not ready. I had two young children at the time. I had not seen any deaths that looked peaceful and like something I would like to do myself. They were all very medicalized, hooked up to tubes, bitter, angry, horrible affairs. I mean, the people I had seen die were, you know, none of them were what I would call a good death. And so I was like, well, how, how am I going to do this if I have no examples and no real path? And I'm definitely not ready. I don't feel good about dying. I don't really want to (laughs) die. And so I started to put together all of this information for me. And I interviewed, you know, Buddhist monks and hospice workers and Catholic nuns and atheists and, and what they thought about death. And I interviewed people who called threshold singers, people who sing you across the threshold. And I interviewed this a whole slew of people, you know, including dying people (laughs) and asked them, you know, how's this going for you or what wisdoms do you have for us? And then that really helped me get a handle on what I would do if I were dying. As it turned out, I'm not dying, but at the time, you know, everything hurt so much. I just thought, surely I have a brain tumor. I'm about to conk over, (laughs) which, uh, I think is a common thought. And also, I mean, let's be honest, I think people in pain think about suicide a lot, Absolutely. not because they want to commit suicide, perhaps, but you sometimes your brain just needs it to know that there's a way out. Mm-hmm. Like, if I can't take this, you know, one option is to commit suicide. And I, and I wish that was another topic that was discussed much more because it's very touchy. But people in pain, no doubt, think about it. And so I was thinking like, okay, what if I had to commit suicide? Could I and would I? And what would that be like for me? I'm brave enough to admit that I, I went to some pretty dark spots. But anyway, I put together all these wisdoms. And then I thought, I think this book would help other people because it's, it's kind of funny. It's kind of goofy. It's kind of meant for young people who can put up with cussing and and like just, you know, the fact that death sucks and the fact that we have to die sucks. You know, I'm just going to say it like it is. And there's a lot of foul language in the book. And that, but it's 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 a spunky book. It's about how to make peace with death so you can die with your chin up and your heart brave to the extent that's possible. And, you know, at peace and leaving all your stuff in order for others and to leave behind, you know, an ethical will or some kind of statement of who you were and what you were about. So that comes out in September from Viva Editions. And I'm really excited about that because I think it's could potentially be actually a useful book for a lot of people. Well, I think it's going to spur a lot of death parties. And I hope that you'd consider being a guest at our house for a conversation over the new book with a bunch of us, us middle-agers. Because we'll talk about it, man, because we know what's happening. And I think a lot of us actually have taken care of parents or others, and we have seen it not go well. So I think we're more interested in having a non-medicalized, more natural, more accepting death. You know, it's so interesting. I often, because I teach, and Jeff, we teach younger uh, therapists. You know, these are folks in their 20s, and for the most part. And um, I often say, you know, to really understand and work with people that they're suffering and have suffered in particularly persistent and chronic pain that, you know, I don't wish this on you, but having suffered or having severe loss, a loss of a very, of a parent when you're young or having some tragedy in your life, it creates an understanding. And though I wish that on none of my students, I say that it, it is a challenge because you bring that to the experience when you work with others. Having that allows you to be more open 
with others and accepting of others is kind of my thought. And I don't know, that, that's what I feel like when I hear you speak or that you, again, you, you're coming from seeing a number of things that didn't go well. And yet you take that and from that you learn and you frankly share with others. And I think that's just, that's awesome. Oh, thank you. And yeah, I think just as we get older and as we mature, we just become more empathetic because we have suffered more. I do think we want to reach out and, and lessen other people's pain. It's a it's a good goal of a human being, right? <laughs> Quite honest, I'm a little bit just sort of stunned with, with how um, wonderful and open your description was regarding your pain experience because it is exactly what people need to hear to become comfortable with it. And I, I love your, your conversation about searching out solutions. You know, I, I think that we get in this habit of, you know, we have this going on and in, in, let's say right now we're talking about the pain experience, but I think we can all translate this into a lot of other unpleasant things that have happened in our lives. And we start searching out solutions, you know, in, in, in our world, that's the MRI machine and the CT scan and diagnostic imaging. And you're searching for solutions when I think sometimes a reality, whether it is becoming comfortable with death or being com- becoming comfortable with with a pain you're dealing with is a big part of the battle is can you get to a point where you're at peace and have normalized the discomfort where, like you said, you change the way that you view what's going on. And as opposed to always trying to solve the problem a hundred percent and find that magic pill or, or, or bring that person back to life or, or whatever. Instead, you start saying, how can I deal with this in a healthy fashion that allows me to continue to thrive and have purpose in my life. You know, I mean, do you feel, Laura, that that is part of, and I do in no means mean to put words in your mouth, but do you feel that's kind of where your journey took you from f- trying to find a perfect solution to trying to find ways to, to move forward and become at peace with the situation? You said it exactly right, so I don't mind you putting, putting those words <laughs> in my mouth, but that's exactly right. True suffering comes from resistance, I was resisting for a long time. I was resisting the fact that my life had changed and I was now in pain, you know, and my goal became equanimity. Like I just want to make peace with this and live an awesome life while recognizing that I'm in pain. You know, there's that old saying, like there's three things you can do if you're in a bad situation, you can change it, you can leave it, or you can accept it. And with my pain, I couldn't change it. And with my mortality, I couldn't change it. I mean, we're mortal. We're going to die. I couldn't really leave it. I couldn't leave my pain and I can't really leave my mortality. But the third thing you can do is accept it. I can accept my pain and I can accept my mortality and I can embrace them even like make friends with them. Um, And I think I have oddly enough made friends with my pain and made friends with death, uh, which sounds weird. But man, it's led me to a good place. (laughs) <laughs> I'm a much happier person than I was 10 years ago. Indeed. It goes back in order to, in, in order to live well, you need to understand how to die or whatever the saying is there that really, you know, when you understand death and you, and you accept it, then you can begin living. Yeah. I love that phrase. Use death as your advisor. Indeed. I love that. Let death, the fact that you know you're going to die, advise you on how to live. And how to live, I must tell this story, Laura, because I was pulling out um, some of your other books that probably maybe a little less well-known. Um, let me set up this story. Uh, there's a Nobel Prize winner um, named Gary Mullis. Uh, basically, he was the guy that kind of back in the late 80s was able to kind of invented PCR, that, that ability to, you know, replicate DNA, and is really known as this, you know, eccentric guy. Uh, anyway, he, he wrote a book that I'll tell you in just a moment, but the book, for some reason, was sandwiched between 
great Colorado bear stories and going green. And here's the Nobel Prize winner in between it. And his book is called <laughs> Dancing Naked in the Mind Field. So Dancing Naked in the Minefield, a great book about many things, and you probably like him, but but you also wrote a book, or was the editor of a book, uh, Save the Pooter, and you are well known for, I think, the cover. Do you mind sharing some of that, or is that too much? <laughs> no, of course not. I'll talk about anything. Humans should talk about real stuff all the time, I say. I'm naked. I'm, a, I'm dancing, or I'm in the river, hugging some other people. We have a sign that says, Save the Pooter, and we did that as a good visual to get some attention placed on a advocacy situation that we were working on, which was to prevent a storage a dam basically on the Poudre River. And it worked. It got a lot of attention. It started a great organization called Save the Poudre, which is well and functioning and doing really good work to protect the Poudre River, which is the local river that runs through my town. I was happy to be naked for that. The posters were around town and it got a lot of press. And again, everybody's wondering who who are these people because everybody has their backs turned. But it, there really is a Sedgway. First of all, I thought it was hysterical that that book was in between years. And secondly, though, many people would say that immersing yourself in runoff of the uh, Colorado snow could be considered an unpleasant sensory and emotional <laughs> experience. Yeah, that's true. That also and, was. And I'm really, there is a question on pain because how did you, you know, that could be considered painful, but did you reframe that experience? I mean, getting in that water, I mean, it, it couldn't have been too warm that time of year. <laughs> it was so cold that I was crying. Tears were coming out of my eyes. And the photographer had all this gear on. He was nice and cozy, warm, while the rest of us were freezing, freezing. It was pure snowmelt. It was so cold. But, you know, isn't that funny that it's just in a whole how you frame it, you know, like you could feel nervous. And if you reframe it as excitement, then you feel excited. And if you're in pain because the water's cold, but you're reframing it as protection of something you care about or advocacy, then you're totally willing to put up with it. <laughs> wow. It's all in how you frame it. And I think with that, we should probably be respectful of your time, Lauren, start uh, winding down. But um, I can't wait to have you on again, and uh, especially when your new book comes out. Uh, this has been phenomenal. Well, thank you so much. And thanks for doing what you do, uh, both of you, because it's very important and it you know, it helps a lot of people. Thank you so much. I, I, you know, I think when Tim and I really got our heads together that we wanted to sort of engage in this space, you know, we sort of had two thoughts that number one, we wanted to get a wide amount of healthcare providers from different disciplines that could share some of their light on success they've had in helping folks get out of pain. But on the other hand, we wanted to bring in people who have who have been a part of that experience and have found resources and, and ways to move forward. And I don't know if we could hit the ball any further over the center field fence than we just did. So thank you so much for your for being candid and for being honest and for being articulate. And I, I can't wait to get this out and have folks hear it. Laura, before we sign off, do you mind sharing? Um, are you on Twitter or do you have any websites that people can engage with you on? Do you mind plugging those quick so that people who hear this and want to kind of reach out and, and say hi or have questions might be able to reach you? Absolutely. I'd love to. My website is www.lauraprichett.com and that's just L-A-U-R-A-P-R-I-T-C-H-E-T-T.com. And on there is an email address that you can contact me. I'm also on Twitter at, at author Laura and I'm on Facebook as well. And recently I've been posting quite a bit on 
kind of the modern death and different ways of dying, better ways of dying. So people who are particularly interested in that might check that out. Beautiful. Well, thank you again so much, Laura. I I hope uh, down the road we can have you on the show again. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Laura. Wow. What an absolute pleasure talking with Laura Pritchett. It is very rare that you meet somebody who has that rare combination of relevant personal experience, tremendous, tremendous, almost almost disarming authenticity, and then the ability to articulate um, the way that Laura does. There was so much value in that, um, not only for, for individuals who are treating pain, but I, I would almost argue more so for individuals who are currently struggling with pain or have loved ones that are doing so. I think so much of this conversation needs needs to revolve around putting forth resources that people who are in the trenches and, and having issues um, can reach out to, to kind of help to steady their ship and, and, and to give them a chance to to get the oars back in the water and move things forward. So just a gigantic thank you to Laura. And I hope that all of you are able to reach out and and read the incredible books that, that Tim mentioned in the intro and that that are on her website and, and just continue to, to follow Laura and, and engage in her authentic path as, as she moves through her life. I think for many of us, there's going to be a lot of value there. So Thank you all for for spending the past uh, 45 minutes with Pain Reframed and really appreciate you bringing your attention towards us. Please continue this conversation. Um, head over to ispinstitute.com. He- head over to evidenceinmotion.com. Hop on the blog there. You're going to find the link to this conversation um, as well as plenty of ongoing dialogue that stems from it. So please get engaged and stay engaged and, and reach out to us in any way that we can help. Let's have the conversation continue to move onward. Thank you very much. Pain Reframed is brought to you by our sponsor, the International Spine and Pain Institute. Check out their transformative pain science programming at ispinstitute.com.